Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for the classic rock band Iron Butterfly. I'm hanging out rocking with Seattle Wave Radio. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Chad Channing has a place in music history. As an early member of the iconic group Nirvana, Chad was the band's drummer from 1988 to 1990, and his beats permeate the legendary Bleach album. Now, as Nirvana looks from the halls of, the, of music fame, the surviving members move on to new musical projects and direction. And Chad and his new band, Before Cars, are breaking new ground, and they're getting usually unimpressed studio production executives talking. And Chad's here today, and he's going to introduce us to his new band and really his, his new musical family. So thanks, Chad, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it has been a busy, busy time. You've really remained busy ever since you got into music as, as a teenager, right? You, you, you worked pretty steady. Yeah, yeah, I've never left it. Passion's too strong. Now, did, did I read that, that your dad was a DJ? Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, he was a disc jockey. Actually, he started out in television. Like, when I was a little boy, I remember watching him on TV because he, uh, he worked uh, for a station called WLOL, and he was actually a news anchor man. And then um, after a few years of that, then he switched to uh, being a DJ. That's when being a DJ really meant being a DJ. The good old days. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wolfman Jack and all that. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Wolfman Jack paved the way for, for a lot of people in music, as did so many DJs of that time really opened the door for that. How did you wind up in Seattle? Oh, gosh. Well, before that, I lived in Idaho. I mean, I've lived in a lot of different places. I mean, I was originally born in California, and I've lived in places like Minnesota and Alaska and Hawaii and Colorado. And my dad was always just, you know, just trying to go where the work is. I mean, I grew up with three sisters, and so then, you know, being a DJ, especially in the 70s and, and in the 80s and stuff, I mean, you really had to go uh, to where, you know, the, the better money was all the time. And so he would get offers on occasion, and we were living in Idaho, and he had an offer uh, from uh, a station in, in Yakima. Um, I can't recall what, what that station was, but anyway, uh, that's what brought us into Washington State, and not long after that, uh, my dad ended up working for uh, KBRO, uh, I believe it was out of Bremerton, um, that got me into uh, the Seattle area. Well, and it really brought you into Seattle at a, at a really good time in music, although I don't think there was ever a really bad time in music. Seattle has a very long <laughs> musical history, going back all the way to the 40s and, you know, with, with jazz and that type of thing, and, and it's always evolving and changing, but it seems like there's always this churning of musical energy in Seattle. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, um, you know, looking back at the, in the history uh, of music, you know, I mean, it's like, there's there's so much it just like pops out I mean from the Sonics to Hendrix to Hart I mean it's like a, a lot of good stuff and it just I often sometimes think of that old phrase uh, you know sort of like uh, you know in order to sing the 
blues, you have to live the blues. So I kind of associate that with like, I don't know, the atmosphere or weather, whatever it's like. It's like, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of things that can create, uh, I think, uh, that certain kind of energy and inspiration to write music around here. Um, and so, yeah. Well, it's it's a, it's a kind of a hotbed for for creativity, and and there's always a lot of people that you can kind of try ideas off of, and uh, you know, it's I, I kind of feel like Seattle for musicians, it's kind of how L.A. is for actors. It's like everyone in Seattle like has a band or can write music or knows somebody in a band or or knows somebody right, right. musically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and also I've often found a lot of good variety too. Uh, even in even with like uh, you know the the early de- uh, days and stuff, and like late '80s, and I mean there was it's always been so many different kinds of music that that really pops out. Even even now, it's like you check out a bunch of local acts and different stuff. If you dig deep, I mean, you'll, you'll find a whole spectrum of stuff. You know, people still doing, or um, people like you know doing more electronic stuff, and then people just you know still doing good indie pop. I mean, it's a lot of good stuff around, it, and that's why I've always loved uh, the city so much. And its music's just it's like everybody's just like kind of really into what what they're doing, and it's and it's sort of like a very sort of free will sort of thing. It's like oh well, this band's like this, so we got to follow them. It's like everybody kind of follows their own thing, which I've always thought is you know the way to go you know it's like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. go ahead and do what you want to do and it's 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 really great that is true i really never thought of it in, in that way but you're absolutely right nobody says oh well this is what's hot so we're all going to kind of go like sheep down this way there's so many different things and everybody's embracing every type of different i mean there's country there's jazz there's electric oh. like you were saying electronic there's um rock there's Southern rock, I mean, almost anything that you can ever imagine, and probably more that's being created as we speak is, is going on at any time of the day. Definitely, most definitely. And there's always a good, huge pool of creativity going around. And a lot of people, I mean, like people I've met throughout my life and worked with, been very fortunate. It's been very great because, you know, there's just people I've worked with are so talented and it's so great to, to work with people who are also inspired and they just feel that way. It's like the inspiration is just all, all around. And it's just, it's fantastic. As a musician, what more do you want? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. How old were you when you fell into the the, the guys in, in the group with, with Nirvana? You couldn't have been very old yourself at that time. No, I think I was, uh, I think I was about... Uh, 20, I think I was 21. Yeah, that sounds about right. Actually, I think I, I might have, gosh, it's, so, it's hard to think that far back for me at times, but I'm thinking I was probably 20 when I actually played a, sh- a show uh, with their band. I mean, I was in a, I was in another band called Take Dollar Row, and they were, they were in a band, uh, well, they were called their mom, they were called Bliss at the time, but and I think I might have been 20 then, but then I think I was 21 by the time I got involved with them. Well, what was Seattle music like then? I mean, you, you've had a, a lot of time now to to kind of marinate on that experience, and, and you've had a lot of experiences since then, and, and you've stayed very connected to the music scene. Was there a, a big difference in, in the way that the feeling was or, or, or the way the time was back in 1988 well, versus where we're at now? Well, Back then, even kind of leading up to that, I got into a kind of a lot of different things. I mean, I first I was you know really really got into punk rock and stuff in the in the very you know early '80s and stuff, and then I got in the whole sort of speed speed metal thing uh, in the mid '80s and stuff. And then when I got involved with Nirvana, then I actually started hearing other bands like Tad and Mudhoney and stuff like that. 
And what was really cool about it for me was like it just it was family sort of feeling or something. It was I just loved how everybody was supportive of everybody else because we were always going there, you know, each other's shows. You know, it's like we'd uh, you know we'd go to a, like a Tad show and like we'd be there, my honey'd be there, you know, Blood Circus or whatever. And it's like and everybody just sort of supported everybody, and it was such a cool thing because. I used to hear like stories like you know like like down in L.A. and stuff where like it was almost a battle of the bands all the time. You know, people just trying to you know scoot someone else out of the way so they can you know get on top or whatever. Which I always thought, well, that's kind of weird. That's true, you know. But here the the feeling was was really different. I loved like going to you know hanging out and going to punk rock shows and stuff in the early '80s, and I, re- I really liked that a lot. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. But when I actually found myself kind of being a part of of music and playing shows uh, and whatnot, especially with what we were doing uh, that was, I guess, I don't know, whatever, just rock and roll or a spinoff of punk and anything else behind it, uh, was really, a, it was so kind of inspirational because it seemed, it was like fresh, feeling like, wow, I've never heard this or done this before, and this is really cool, and all these bands are doing these different things, and everybody's just having such a great time, and that was the bottom line, it was just, God, it was so fun, it's like, geez, couldn't beat it with a stick. Well, and, and I, I think that that energy just breeds more creativity amongst everybody. It's just like, like you said, that you're going out and you're hearing this stuff, and it's fueling you. And then, and then maybe you're getting up there, and people are hearing what you're doing, and it's and it's fueling them. And, and everybody really benefits. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of like it's the sort of thing like uh, when you play the smaller clubs or the band and stuff. You're really close to the audience, and it's really a show. It's like you know the band feeds off the energy of the audience, and then vice versa. But it was kind of that way with uh, with playing, you know, with and going seeing bands and stuff. It's sort of it's like, wow, you know, I, I was totally, I was so inspired to like want to go and play and stuff after like say watching Mudhoney play or Tad or something like that. It was like, it's like, oh no, I want to go home and play, you know. So it was really cool to get that sort of inspiration uh, from uh, 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 the other uh, you know local local bands and stuff. So that was kind of a unique feeling. Well, and, and, and so many of them went on to have what we would consider mainstream success, Soundgarden and Alice in Change, and, and, and uh, not only Nirvana, but, of course, Nirvana is just synonymous with, with Seattle music. But we have so much kind of out of that era that we were able to offer the world that, that came right out of this hotbed of, of creativity. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I loved the, the variety of it because I, I remember um, when I first saw Soundgarden, I think it was like their second show, and I was like, what is going on here? This is totally cool. It was like, because it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't punk. It wasn't what was to be later coined grunge. I mean, they were definitely their own sort of thing. I, I mean, I know at some point I mean, they may have been, you know, corralled in, into that uh, grunge thing, but I never I never saw them as that. But, but they were they were very different. And then also, you know, I was a huge fan of the Melvins, too, which were totally, they were doing their own thing, too, and completely different. And so while we had our thing going, you know, with like Nirvana and Tad and Kappa and Blood Circus and, and Coffin Break and all these bands, you know, with Soundgarden and even like Alice in Chains and stuff, it's like, they, you know, there was different sort of things that were going off that were, kind of, that were getting, you know, very popular at the same time that in my mind I thought was, a, you know, kind of different, not really the same sort of kind of genre or whatever that I was doing. And, and that I really, really liked. And, and you've remained friends with, the band with with Nirvana, you, you guys might have, or you, you might have had creativity differences in that time that kind of led you down a different path. But but you guys remain pretty tight. Oh yeah, yeah, we were always uh, we were always really good friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I remember the first time um, 
they I say, might have been around shortly before they uh, released, I think, Nevermind or something, but they they went, uh, they went came to the OK uh, Hotel uh, back when it was under the uh, viaduct, and and they were playing a show, and I was I was in, I was inside, and I was at the bar and stuff. And the next thing I know, I was like, I hear this, hey Chad, and I turn around, and it's like Kurt, and then followed by Chris and Dave and stuff. I was like, wow, because I hadn't seen them in quite some time. They, you know, they've been, they've been so busy and stuff. Um, and uh, so I mean, it was really cool. I mean, we just kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, hugged each other and whatnot. And, and it was cool for me because I think that was might have been the first time I actually met Dave, uh, which was really cool too. I mean, a super nice guy. So, so yeah, I mean, they were always really busy. We, you know, we didn't. We didn't keep in touch as, as as much as we probably would have liked because of just how our lives were. But it was always good to see them when I did or when I could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, all the Since you've been associated and a member and a big, really part of Nirvana, how, how do you measure or or determine success? Kind of going forward, you have a a new band. There's a who is absolutely fantastic, and we're going to bring them on in just a minute. We're going to play some music, but yeah. how, how do you just kind of push yourself? Well, for me, just always wanting to do better, and, and I think that's that's uh, something that kind of holds true for I think, many musicians. It's like uh, there's there's never an end to learning in, in music to me. And I'm always, you know, it's like I'm always striving to want to try something I've never done before uh, and to do better. It's like uh, with Before Cars, uh, you know, after putting out the first record, Walk Back, it's like I want to do a different kind of record or something that, was just, that I was feeling more like doing, like, now. And even now, you know, when I listen to the to that record, the How We Run record, um, you know, it's like I hear that, and, it, and that record itself inspires me to want to do another record and even be better, you know, make it better, you know. It's just, uh, it just it's hard to explain, but there's just something that just that pulls at me. It's like, you know, let's keep doing this, let's keep doing that, and make something better and make something better. It's like you're always trying for the whole self-improvement thing all the time. And it comes to this fuel for the fire, and, of course, that and the passion for music that's instilled in me in the first place. Well, we're going to... Take a break. We're going to play an instrumental called Finn that, that is off of your um, album, and we're going to bring back the members of your group, and we're going to, you're going to introduce us to them, and we're going to find out what's going on. How does that sound? Cool. Sounds great. All right. Okay. We will be right back.
with the four cars. We're going to bring everybody on and let you in, uh, and introduce you to this wonderful group that uh, Chad Channing is bringing and letting us all know about today. And we have Paul and Justine and Andy. And Chad, do you want to kind of just introduce everybody a little bit? Well, sure. <clears throat> Directly across from me is Paul Burback. He does guitar and all kinds of fun things. Right? Well, well, before I lost my arm in a shark accident, that's what I did. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Which we will go back to that song, Finn, because it, it might need some explanation on that. Okay, uh, I got that story ready. Uh, <laughs> to my right is, is uh, Justin Janot, who plays uh, violin and piano. And um, to my left is Andy Miller, who does percussion and also, well, he does all kinds of things in this band. You name it, keyboard, whatever, something. Okay. Bass, yeah, plays bass. And drums at the same time. And, yeah, he's multi-talented, minimum-wise. Well, the, the whole band is very, it's a very talented group. Now, Chad, because you're also a drummer, Andy, does, how, how do drummers relate to, to one another? If, especially if, if one of you is drumming and the other one's not. Are, are you critical of each other? or, or what, what is oh, yeah, We get fights all the time. <laughs> yeah, we, we're at fights right now. We're battling all the time. No, we understand each other pretty well. We get it. Yeah. yeah. We're both songwriters, for one. And so our kind of boiled-down goal is, is to hold the song and, and what best fits it needs. And we see we see totally eye-to-eye on that. So it's like, that works out. I mean, there's certain things that, like, um, Andy does on drums that are like that, that suit him more than, like, that, that I would have a little more trouble with. So it's actually really nice. <laughs> kind of works out nice that way. Yeah, they're very different drummers, uh, style-wise, so. Kind of seems like it helps you, Chad, sit outside yourself with it because he'll he'll come up with stuff like that. Yeah, it just gives us more options. Occasionally, Chad has very specific ideas, but it's rare. Usually, I I just have my own style. Well, Justine, what's it like being in the group with with all these guys? Um, I mean, I'm actually in two groups, so before Cars, and then we also play in the band called Pondy, um, which has even more guys. We're all we're all we're all in that too. Yeah, the four of us are in that band too. You guys are very busy, very busy. Well, t- tell us about this like song, Finn. Uh, Finn is actually uh, taken from a story that I heard about of a German couple that uh, were on vacation, and I think it was in Hawaii, and they were out on this boat, and the woman went out for a swim. And they were also, they were actually engaged, I should mention that. And she went out for a swim, and then uh, she got hit by, uh, 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 got pulled over, uh, under by a shark. But she popped up out of the water and started swimming back to the boat. And when she got to the boat, um, she noticed that she'd lost, um, I think it was, it was part of her uh, left, left or right arm, one of her arms. And so he was trying to pull her in, and she was like a little hesitant to get back in the boat because she was concerned whether or not he would still love her because she had lost part of her arm. And of course, he's like, are you kidding me? You know, of course I love you. So he goes to bring her back in the boat. The shark comes by, grabs her again, and pulls her under, and that's the last he ever saw of her. And that's the story of Finn. So it's a real uplifting song, then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's everybody's worst nightmare, actually. Only five people in the world are are killed a year on sharks, but it's like our number one fear. Yeah, it's because it's big. When it happens, it's a big one. It's a love story made in hell. Yeah, hippos (laughs) actually kill more people every year, but 
that doesn't make as interesting a song, I don't think. Maybe yeah, and I, and I, I'd also heard vending machines falling over on people kill more yeah. people than the yeah. shark. But, <laughs> but, you don't but, have but the primal here. It, 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 it's hard to rhyme stuff in a song with vending machines, so shark and yeah, vin are, is much better. <laughs> We'd have to call it vin. This could be a, a, a spinoff that Weird Al Yankovic could do. He could do a vending yeah. machine. <laughs> Well, Paul, yeah. how did you guys end up doing the 5252 project at London Bridge Studios? Um, well, it, I think it, it mostly relates from I knew Jeff Ott, um, the uh, owner of the studio, uh, from when we were young. And uh, in the past, I mean, we just we hung out a lot in our 20s, and uh, just he, we always kept tabs on what each other was doing. And when I was playing in bands, Andy and I were playing in bands back then. He would come around, and he even recorded our bands when he went to school at the Art Institute just as a project band to, to come in. And so we've always kind of been on each other's radar and kept in touch. Um, I'm a teacher, too, a music teacher, so I brought school groups over to the studio. And so when they had this project, it was just one of those things that um, it, he knew what we were doing and, and he wanted to have us as one of the bands. And we were just, we've were we always loved the studio and just were so excited to work with him and work in that, that studio. And so, um, yeah, I think it was just uh, lucky enough to, to know the guy before he was a, a big wig over there at the London Bridge. <laughs> but, well, yeah, so that, it's, that's the main. It's it's a historic studio on its own, um, and it, it's it's really got a really great vibe that's in there. Andy, had had you ever been to London Bridge Studios prior to to recording Finn there? No, no, I was just on a visit. Yeah, I think mm. we did. We bring a school group there. Is that one? We got the school group there. Yeah, and it was kind of fun for, to walk in and just get. There's all those uh, gold and platinum albums on the wall and all the history and everything. So at least a half of the group I brought over there were mostly high schoolers. You know, were into those those bands and were really impressed by it. And I was, of course, sitting there. I, I just nerd out on all that stuff as we all do. Yeah. And so recording uh, <laughs> the song was just a great experience. So you know, Jeff was really quick at everything and, and really smooth at it and we, we all just had a blast and it's just it's just like hanging out in your favorite living room or something that you could you just want to live there after, after being there oh so, yeah. well you almost could because they have a kitchen yeah. and they have you know yeah. kind of like this living room spot I mean you, you really could pool table. I mean pool table Foosball. yes <laughs> pinball yeah. machines there's no, and, yeah. there's no bathtub though so yeah oh well, if they put one in, they'll never get rid of us. That's probably why they don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Justin, what is it like when, when you're working with someone who's been around the, the business a long time, like like Chad? Is it intimidating at all, or 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 he, he sounds like he's just a really easygoing person? Well, Andy, you want to answer that? <laughs> I've been around Chad for most of my life, so we grew together with this stuff. Yeah, we didn't grow up together. We, we grew up together and grew musically together, so. Yeah, I, and, and for me, I've, I've hung out with Chad since our early twenties, but um, I've never the the whole Nirvana thing. We're so we're so close to Chad and so close to the whole thing that I think we don't really look at it the same way uh, that other people do. So it just it kind of seems like something that sensationalized us, even though I, I've always been a Nirvana fan and everything. But it, we're kind of I guess in the inner circle, just knowing Chad and all that. So um, we kind of look at all the stuff that goes on with, and look at each other like, wow, that's really crazy how much attention it all gets. Yeah, uh, it's like being with your brother or something. We weren't we weren't outside of the the whole phenomenon. We were inside the phenomenon. And Andy knew all those guys. So he was in bands that would play shows around them or with them or that sort of thing. So uh, 
yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that I think we're too close to really. It's like yeah. having an elephant an inch away, so you can't really recognize it's an elephant. Yeah, elephants mm-hmm. are brothers, and, and, and Justine is my sister. And Justine, <laughs> how's it for you? Well, I don't. I I mean, I grew up with hot, more classical style, and so. Like Boston or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> classic rock. Yes. So she heard the music version that smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it's got to kind of be sort of surreal, I would imagine. Not really. I mean, I I just got introduced to Chad as one of my friend's friends kind of thing and never really saw it any different. So. You know, my, my take on this, Paul, again, my, my knowing Chad and never really getting starstruck by Chad, I, I kind of felt like some of the ways that Chad does about it where it's hard for him to make something legendary in hindsight in his mind that didn't feel that way at the time he was in it. So I think we all kind of feel that way, even though the stuff afterwards was definitely taken that way. Well, I, I'll tell you that there's a lot of really goodwill out there for Chad. When when I was talking to people and they were asking me this past week, you know, well, who's coming on this week? Oh, I'm going to talk to Chad Channing and, and, and his band and Before Cars. And everybody was just like so genuinely wanting the best for Chad. They just were just had this genuine feeling of endearment. And, and some of them might say, oh, do you know Chad? And they're like, oh, no, but I've heard really good things about him. And it was just this really <laughs> good vibe. And it was, everywhere I went, everyone I talked to was almost um, protective in some way, but also just really wanting the best. And that speaks yeah. volumes, really. Oh, it's been really fun to, to oh, see sure. people. It, <laughs> it's been fun to see people's support of Chad. Yeah, it really has. And, and we have, we're always supportive, too. But it seems like this, knowing Chad so well, it's, it's not as big a deal to them as people would think, you know, I mean, a lot of the details about it is kind of what am I doing now sort of thing and being creative and being happy. Mm-hmm. So, but it has been fun to watch yeah. all the support. Well, you guys go back a long way, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you have a very trusting relationship. Um, I, you know, this isn't anything new, um, a, a new relationship. You guys go way back, so uh, it, it's, it's probably easier to be your genuine selves around each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're also, we've grown up a lot, too. Maturity helps. We spend all our time just, you know, all our spare time when we're not working and stuff, of just just being together and, and, and making videos, making working on music and all these different things, and we're really quite excited about it. So we really do feel like we're living in the moment and doing what we want to do and all that. Well, what's ahead for Before Cars? Well, what, what can we have to look forward to? What, what, what's on the horizon? Uh, well, um, we're looking into it. No, actually, I mean, I, I've been, uh, you know, thinking about the possibility of maybe starting to uh, work on another record maybe come late summer or, or uh, you know, early fall because, uh, uh, you know, we have new songs that are coming over the horizon. It's nice to be able to record them uh, as fresh as we can get them. Uh, so that's something uh, interested in doing. And also, uh, yeah, we've got some uh, new videos for, uh, that we want to do still for uh, songs off the uh, current uh, album, How We Run. And, of course, love to go out and play the East Coast uh, and in the Midwest, uh, go down the West Coast. And also, um, we're uh, putting together something to uh, maybe hopefully go over and play um, Ireland and maybe England and, 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 and the Netherlands. So, yeah, we're just kind of keeping, keeping things going as, as much as we can. 
Well, I, I will say that the UK, Ireland, and England especially, well, I don't want to keep Germany out either. They are very in touch with what's going on, especially in Seattle music, and they love everything that's going on. We have a huge amount of people that, that listen in from the UK. I mean, thousands of people who listen in to the, from the UK who are really wanting to know everything that's going on in Seattle, especially with, with music. So I, I think that you will find that audience in particular really growing because it, it's happening for so many people that they're just really hypersensitive tuning in. And because of the Internet, um, on, on what's going on in Seattle makes it seem like it's it's almost local to them. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. No, we've made some nice... Uh, friends and connections over there and, and look forward to putting some things together. There's a band called Lace Weeper that we'll probably hook up some shows in Ireland with. They're an Irish band and really nice guys that we've visited with here. And we have friends in all a lot of those areas over there. So, Yeah, I, I think you'll find some tremendous support. Yeah, I hope so. So, new album, more videos, tour, Yeah. in short. Yeah. yeah. And you, you all are on Twitter, right? Um, be, be, before Cars is on Twitter. And do you have a website? Yes, we do. It's beforecars.com. So people can keep up with Facebook you there. Well, and you're on Facebook. Just, and we announce anything on both of those that we're doing. Uh, Laurie, have you seen the video for Trip to Mars? I have not. I, I'm writing that down, though. Really, really good. Okay. So we, we want to... Is, is that on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's under Before Cars, Trip to Mars, and it's on our website and somewhere on our Facebook page. But we, we spent a couple of years doing it just... Uh, just because we were, we were working on other video projects and all of our different stuff, too. But we, we did a lot of stop motion on it, so we kind of learned how to do a lot of things on that particular project. A lot project. of fun. Also, a video that we did for uh, How We Run as well. Okay. I'm writing all this down. I'm going to link all of these on our Facebook and our website as well, and we'll, tweet, and we'll tweet all of this out and, and get people on it, especially – you know, there's there's just such a, a need for this right now. People want this information. That, that's where social media comes in handy is that people, and, you know, and Chad and I were kind of talking about this at the beginning of the show. DJs used to really be able to bring you the hottest and the latest and, you know, hit and they'd be excited. And, 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 and that's where people really found out what was really going on at a grassroots level. And that's not going on anymore with the, with the change in music. So there is really great music out there. It's just kind of buried a little bit. But people still want that information and where they're looking for that now uh, because they can't get it from traditional radio anymore so much is that they're looking to social media. So I'm really excited to, to, to spread the news and, and get that out as well because there's people looking for it all the time. Yeah. Oh, we appreciate it. Yeah, and it, it has been nice for us, too, we can in our living rooms and make videos and make music in our basements and all that kind of stuff. So it really is nice to That's great. what you can do these days. With that. Mm-hmm. Or you can sit around your kitchen table and stare at your phone and do an interview. That's, nice. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it, it really brings the world closer together. Like I said, you know, we got people from Ireland, we got people from the UK, we got people from Germany, Japan, and it's really just it's it's all local anymore. It's just really it, it all becomes one 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 sound. Everybody tapping into it from from all over the world. But it's so easy to access whatever you're into. Um, if they're not making it in your town, they're making it in someone else's town, and you can bring it right in immediately and and have it. That is the good thing. Yeah, it's a bigger backyard these days. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, well 
I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. We're going to be talking with Jeff and Jonathan and Eric from London Bridge Studios later, and they're really doing some amazing things, but they're really excited about you guys, and I can understand why. And we are going to go out to another one of the Before Car songs, and we'll be right back. of radio is now. Seattle Wave Radio.
London Bridge Studios in Seattle is not only important culturally, but also historically. Creating sounds everyone would recognize and new musical concepts are being discovered every day. But preserving the sound is at risk due to aging equipment and technology changes. And I'm really thrilled to have the owners of London Bridge Studios with us today to talk about their Indiegogo crowdfunding project, how we can become a part of rock and roll history, and how we can help save the sound. So I have Jonathan, Jess, and Eric with me today. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Hello. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Jess, do you want to tell us a little bit about London Bridge Studios and why it is so significant? Sure. Well, I can tell you why it's significant to me. Um, when I was in high school in the early 90s, um, a lot of the music I was listening to and a lot of the music that a lot of the country was listening to was coming out of London Bridge Studio. So for me as a young engineer, it just made perfect sense that that's the place to go search out and find and figure out why that sound is so magical that was coming out of there. Fast forward 20 years and the music business has kind of changed a little bit and there's no more of these big budget records coming out as much as there used to be. So we kind of changed our focus at London Bridge about 10 years ago to be more community-oriented. So our rates have come down a little bit, and we're just more accessible to the local community for those musicians to come in and lay down their music and get their art put out there for the masses to hear it. So it's, I think it's good for, for the local community more now than ever because it's just it is accessible. They can come in. They can use it. It's a great place. It's a big place where a, a band can set up and play live. It's not like a basement where you're confined to, you know, 10 square feet of cramming everybody into some place. That mixed with the gear, and that's what we're talking about is our knees console. That's what we're trying to refurbish, and we're taking that. It's 40 years old now, so we just want to take it all apart and fix all the switches and the buttons and replace all the stuff that has been getting kind of old and frail and uh, hopefully give it another 40 years of life. Well, London Bridge Studios is really kind of a musician's clubhouse, a, a favorite spot, so to speak, um, in the form of a recording studio. So it's it's mm-hmm. not only had all these wonderful sounds come out of there, but there's still such beautiful sounds coming out of there today, and it's just an absolute favorite. Um, you have people mm-hmm. come from all over the world to record there, just not Seattle. Absolutely. Yeah, we have people send their music to be mixed and mastered because of the Internet now. You know, it's completely accessible. And we do get people to come from England and different places, uh, Hungary, lots of different places Italy. to come and record there. Mm-hmm. Italy, that's yeah. right. Neo this, this Jonathan, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bands in other cities complain that this, their cities don't have studios or producers that understand how to get a live organic rock sound. So I think they, they do some searching on the internet of their favorite albums and a lot of times it leads into our studio and they they come to Seattle and find us. Like you guys get it and, and no one in our town understands this kind of style. Well you know, I was just talking with Chad Channing about this earlier and we were talking about how in Seattle I really feel like Seattle to music is kind of like what LA is to actors. But when you're in Seattle, there's so much creativity going on at every turn. Everyone knows someone in music. Everyone's in music. Everyone's connected to the music scene. And then those people kind of go out also as ambassadors to the world, and, and, and they take that spirit. And, and 
of, of music and community and creativity with them. And really, one of the, the, the best places to find that, and it always seems to come back to London Bridge Studios. <laughs> we appreciate that. There is a, a lot going on in, in Seattle in general. I know a lot of uh, studio musicians I use, they'll come to my session after another session, and then they're going out to another session at some other studio after we're done. So it definitely is a very great community of musicians here and a lot of really great talent. So it's exciting to and be And very part welcoming. Of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Eric, do you, do you want to talk about the, the Indiegogo project and, and what made you guys go that route and how we can become a part of it? Sure. Can sure. I say one thing first, Eric, before you launch off? Absolutely. So I, I just wanted to point out um, one thing that keeps coming up in my mind, um, that a lot of people have this misperception that a studio like London Bridge is just rolling in all this cash because we've made all these historic albums that have sold millions and millions of copies. And just need to point out, you know, yes, the millions of records have been sold that, that got recorded at London Bridge, but that was 20 years ago, and we're the new owners, and it's completely a new era in the music industry. And the, the studio race, the whole entire industry just doesn't work like it used to. And so having a, a world-class studio like ours that was built, you know, was almost 30 years ago, it's not the, – the, keeping it up financially, is, it's a completely different business model. So owning a piece of gear like our classic Neve is incredibly expensive to keep up. And when a time that bands and musicians just start making the kind of money that they used to, and uh, we can't ask for the kind of rates that we would need to maintain a legendary piece of delicate equipment like this in our town anymore, or if we raise a race anymore, bands couldn't afford to get in. So I just wanted to start out with explaining why we're asking for money versus uh, any other misconceptions there are out there sure. how the business works. There's also <laughs> there's also a misconception that the studio may see royalties off of those records or things like that, and that's certainly not the case. It's not the the uh, all the records that that were made came and went. And though Jonathan and Jeff were very much so a part of that history in the sense that they were engineers during that that era and they were around. They, they made the decision down the line to purchase the studio from Rick and Raj, and, you know, that kind of started in a, a whole new, different era. And then I just came in a, a year or two ago, and here we are with the next moving forward. Um, so absolutely, Jonathan's correct that a lot of people see the records on the wall and assume that, you know, the studio is still benefiting from those records financially, and that's certainly not the case. We're just... Our goal is to preserve that, you know, that history and that place where all this, all of that took place, but it, it's not necessarily the same, you know, people. Well, and this piece of equipment is very vital to the sustainability and the quality of the music coming out there. This, th this console, it's hand-built, right? Absolutely, yeah. Hand-built, hand-wired. It's one of very few left intact out there. And it's really the heart of the studio, right, right, Jonathan? I mean, it's, it's really important to, to have this and, and preserve this. Right. So this, it's been, the board's been with the studio the whole time, and as the maintenance on the board is 40 years old, like we said, and it's getting more fussy, you know, it's like an old car. It needs to be maintained. But as these parts are getting older and older, it's getting, you know, exponentially expensive for us to maintain. While we do maintain it, it's healthy right now. It's just we look, we're looking at the future it's like we have a decision to make. Uh, we raise our rates, but we know if we do that, we won't. Fans can't afford to come in, so that's not feasible. Uh, the board is worth actually 
unfortunately, the, the board is worth more parted out because the whole board's modular. Every little part just slides right out, and they can be repackaged to put into a single rack to go into someone's home studio. So the board is actually worth much more parted out. So that's a reason, pretty obvious option for us is part the board out and buy a modern board that's not going to have the same maintenance problems. And we actually considered doing that. And, in fact, it was Eric, our, our new partner, who looked at us and said, guys, you know, the, the London Bridge sound, the, the heart of the studio is this board. It's right here. You know, we can't, we can't lose this. And we think he's right. And all those records that we're all, you know, love to listen to from the 90s is, you know, the, the sound of that went through that board and it's so distinctive and so colorful and it's not replicable. We can't replace that with something different. So we're trying to hang on to it. Well, and, and collectively we would all benefit and, and, there, and that could be figuratively and physically because in your crowdfunding Indiegogo package, there's actually a way that we can become a, pe- a part of rock and roll history. <laughs> That's right. Eric, did you want to jump in on this or? Yeah, absolutely. This is um, what we're doing is we're completely replacing the back panel of the console with a plexiglass uh, see-through panel, um, and we're engraving 250 names um, of benefactors uh, on the panel, and it'll be completely see-through, so you can look into kind of the guts of the console, see the actual heartbeat. There's also a bunch of other cool perks. If that's not something you're interested in, there's something at every level. For $35, there's a, a T-shirt um, that was designed by Scotty Wilson, one of the longtime patrons of London Bridge, um, and that's kind of this hand-sketched diagram of, of the one of the modules, one of the 1081 modules that Jonathan was describing earlier. There's also uh, some recording packages and uh, even a chance to come in and record a single with Rick Parshar, the original founder and producer at London Bridge, who worked on a lot of those instrumental records we've been talking about. Yeah, the, the packages actually start at $10, and then there's everything in between all the way up to $15,000. So there's something for everybody where you can contribute to being a part of this project from basic, you know, individual level all the way up almost to, to, a, to a corporate level at the $15,000 mark. What is your goal? Our goal is $75,000, and that won't necessarily cover every nook and cranny, but obviously we expect to participate. We, we've already begun the restoration ourselves as well, so that's what we're asking the community for is, is 75000 And so 250 people have the opportunity to have their names engraved at the $250 level, which is really amazing because for another 40 years, there's going to be all kinds of music made there. It's a very intimate setting, uh, London Bridge Studios is. So people are going to look at those names. They're going to feel those names. They're going to see those names. And musicians, and Jonathan, Jeff, and even Eric, I know that you guys can count to the uh, amount of time that, that musicians spend in the studio, what a bonding experience that is, and really how they get to know every inch of that studio when, when they're in there uh, being creative and, and hanging out and engineering and, and producing. Also to point out, with the plaque, that you get also a tour for two people. So within the next year of getting the plaque, you're invited to come, take a tour of the studio, see your name, take pictures, see the studio. So we feel like it's it's a pretty cool thing to to come in and see the studio firsthand and see your name in life. 
Absolutely, because it, it is a, a, a close private studio, so people just can't walk in off the street. This is a very um, exclusive and, and limited opportunity. That's right, and, and a lot of people never get a chance to set foot in a recording studio at all, so the people that have had a chance to tour it are always totally fascinated, taken back by the building and the process and the gear and the history. And you can find out more about London Bridge Studios and the Indiegogo project, the, the crowdfunding project at LondonBridgeStudios.com. They're on Twitter. They uh, have a fantastic website that links to all of the projects they're doing. They're doing a fantastic 5252 project, A Year in Your, your Ear. That's on there. You can connect right to the crowdfunding, and you can see all of the information they have on there, people who've come and gone through there. There's pictures of the studio. It's, it's an absolutely fantastic website. Whoever did that kudos to them because it's it's very user friendly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. All right. Absolutely. I, I, I I've been there. I have enjoyed many, many times at London Bridge Studios. It, it's just full of opportunity. It just makes you feel creative when you're there. So uh, I don't think that you'll have any problem with your crowdfunding project. I think people all over the world will want to be a part of it. And crowdfunding is, is the way to go. That's it, it's it's just become very popular and, and everybody's used to it and, 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 and pretty much by, by this point people understand how it works so go to LondonBridgeStudios.com and be a part of music history and save the sound right on Lori thank you Lori thanks a lot Lori hey no problem are going to go out to another one of the Before Car songs. Look at us wandering, wasting our time. Driving on, minding our days. How could they ever notice what we could be? Is it making
Rango, baby, listen up. You're surfing the mojo waves with Seattle Wave Radio. Catch the wave. <laughs> 